This is Books of Titans, the podcast dedicated to the influences of influencers. The books that have helped shape prominent inventors, business leaders, athletes, intellectuals, scientists, and others. We'll talk about what makes these books such classics and at least attempt to have an intelligent discussion about what makes them so important and influential. Hello, this is Eric Rostad coming to you right outside of Nashville, Tennessee. Today I'm going to cover Einstein by Walter Isaacson, His Life and Universe. This is book 32 of 52 for my 2019 reading list. This episode will consist of three segments. First will be a brief introduction to the book about the author, why I read it, and my initial reaction. Second segment will be some of the things I learned about Einstein as well as a few of my favorite things from the book. And the third segment is the one thing, my one key takeaway. So on to segment one, the author is Walter Isaacson. He was born May 20th, 1952, and he is an American writer and journalist. He studied at Harvard, where he majored in history and literature, and at Pembroke College, Oxford, where he was a Rhodes Scholar, and there he studied philosophy, politics, and economics. Other books that Isaacson has written and ones that I've read are Da Vinci, and Benjamin Franklin, his biographies of those two men. I read those last year as part of the Books of Titans project. And before I started this project, project, I also read his biography of Steve Jobs and The Innovators. There's another book out there that Isaacson has written about Henry Kissinger, and I've not read that one. Apparently, he's got another book coming out probably in the next few years about CRISPR, C-R-I-S-P-R, which is how you can manipulate DNA to, to get a different type of child in, in the sense of maybe it doesn't have one characteristic that you don't like, but it does have one that you do like. And, uh, so Isaacson is going to start with the discovery of, of the structure of DNA and then go through what, where we are today, uh, the morals and policy issues involved with that. So that, that one should be pretty interesting. Uh, Isaacson takes usually takes a couple years to research and then a couple years to write. And so when he announced this, he was just six months into the research part of it, and th- and that was recently. So uh, probably probably still a few years before we see that that book. I actually tweeted Isaacson one time. I sent him a tweet, uh, wishing that his next book would be about Mozart. So I, d- I doubt he got that, but um, I would love to read a book by him on on Mozart. I think he would do. An amazing job. As for this one, Einstein, it's broken up into 25 chapters and they cover different years. Uh, some years will show up in multiple chapters, for instance, 1905 when Einstein had multiple breakthroughs, but on the whole, it, it kind of covered two to three year periods and, and goes through the book that way. I was amazed at the depth that Isaacson went into the the science in this book. I kind of expected more of a, of a broad overview of Einstein's life, uh, who he met, who he collaborated with, where he studied, uh, and, and just kind of the basics of of the theories. But he goes, Isaacson goes in deep. And that part of it was, I loved it, but it was also very challenging for me. I, I was not a good science student in high school, and also did not have very good teachers. And so the, the combination of those two things, I, I've, I've always been way behind in science. It's an area I would like to, to kind of regain re that knowledge, I guess, go back and, and, and learn what I, I didn't learn. Um, and so I, t- I try to take those sections really slow in this book. I, it, it probably 
require another reading or two of, of, of this book and then just delving deeper into the science to, to, to get it. But I was very impressed with how Isaacson covered that in this book. And, and to me, it set this one apart. This, this, this book is a different level to me than others, Isaacson's other books. As for who suggested it, Coach George Raveling suggested this one, and I'm going to link to a, a podcast episode with with uh, with George that uh, where he was on the Tim Ferriss Show podcast, and it was an amazing episode. It, it, it was one of my favorites, and he has quite an amazing story. He is a, a lifelong learner. He's in his 80s now, and I, I signed up for his newsletter, and it's just filled with things he's learning. Uh, and it's just really cool to, to see this guy in his eighties, just still going strong, reading all the time. And, and so I'll, I'll link to that episode. You, you get a kick out of uh, listening to that one. I read this book from July 27th through August 8th of 2019. It's a 551 page book. As far as the, the content of the book, there's plenty of pages after that, uh, into the 600s where, uh, um, references and, and notes and that sort of thing. So that breaks down to 46 pages per day. It took me 18 hours total, 13 minutes and four seconds. Uh, so that, that equals about a, a minute 59 per page. Those 18 hours were well spent. This was an amazing book. It's It was one of my favorites for the reading project. I didn't know much about Einstein going into the book. And the best way I can describe it is that parts of the book were just good for the soul. And I don't know how to describe that better than, than saying it that way. Uh, and I, I, it's not something I say often in, in the books that I read, but there, there's one paragraph in particular that I'll read in the, in segment three that, that it nearly had me in tears and it was just, it was beautiful. And Einstein's life is, is incredible in the sense of who he came into contact with, uh, this uh, historical ramifications of what his theories came, uh, what they, what they led to, but then him being in, in pre-World War II Berlin, uh, as a Jew, I just so much going, I mean, it just ties in so much history as you read about Einstein's life. As for who should read the book, uh, I, this is a really important book in terms of, of understanding our, our universe and in the sense of our, our modern conception of, of the universe and, and how, a lot of those ideas started. Uh, we also learn a lot about Newton in this book and, and how Einstein took uh, Newton's ideas, but also, you know, kind of way surpassed Newton's ideas. So you, you, you learn a lot about, about the universe, about, about science. Uh, so if, if that's something that you, you'd like to learn more about, uh, this is a good book. And then also, as, as I mentioned, just with Einstein, just how his life intersected into so many different historical events. So if you're into history, uh, you'll love this because it's, it's not just Einstein, you know, over here and you're learning about him, but it's Einstein connected to history and connected to people and people, you know, uh, Winston Churchill, Roosevelt, uh, all these people he came into contact with, all these scientists, just amazing, amazing things that happened to his life. And also for who should read this book, people who want a challenge, especially if, if like me, you are basic in your knowledge of science. I, I had to take a lot of this very slow, but I guess I can take heart in that the book also describes a lot of people that Einstein spent a great deal of time with, and they never understood 
a lot of his theories either, even after Einstein would spend multiple days describing those theories to those people. So if you read the book, you don't understand uh, all of his theories, you're in good company. As I mentioned in segment one, I came into this book not knowing a whole lot about Einstein. So before I get into some of my favorite things about the book itself, I want to highlight some things I learned about Einstein. And the first is this. I, I think this is one of the most incredible things I learned about Einstein. I'm going to read the paragraph. Einstein sent off his most famous paper on the electrodynamics of moving bodies. It contained no citations of other literature no mention of anyone else's work, and no acknowledgement except for the charming one in the last sentence. Let me note that my friend and colleague M. Besso steadfastly stood by me in my work on the problem discussed here, and that I am indebted to him for several valuable suggestions. End quote. Did you hear that? Einstein submitted his famous paper. He submitted a scientific paper mind you, while working in a patent office, not in a university, as a patent officer with no citations. Academic papers are built on citations. You cite who led to your ideas. You cite all the people that you've read and and whose ideas influenced you to come up with this new idea. He cited no one. I mean, in fact, Google, Google started based on that idea of you can understand what the most important works are in any academic field by how many times that work has been cited. Every academic paper is, it should, or usually does cite other papers. And so Google took that idea with websites. A website is probably going to be more important if there's other sites linking to it. And, and that idea and, and here's Einstein. He submits a paper with no citations. I mean, that has to be one of the most incredible things that happened in science. His ideas were so revolutionary, there was no one to cite. There was no one to mention. The only person he mentions is his friend, and all his friend did was just walk with him on the street so that he could be a sounding board. I mean, it's almost comical that he, that he mentions his friend in that. And... Oh man, I did, when I read that, I just I just chuckled. I, I just laughed. I, I thought that was that was that's an amazing move. And so that that was the, the, the one of the top things that I that I learned about Einstein that that I just loved. Second, uh, more on the disturbing side is that uh, Einstein's personal life was a, was a mess. Uh, his first daughter, he never met her. Uh, she was born out of wedlock. He eventually married that woman, it was his first wife, and they had two sons after that. But uh, the, this, his, his wife had the baby at her parents' house, so he never met her, mentioned her only once in a letter, and that was a letter to his, his uh, what, who eventually became his wife, not ever mentioned anywhere else. He never, meant, he never discussed her. He never wrote about her in other letters. Uh, his second son ended up in, in an insane asylum. Einstein remarried, uh, that second wife, uh, that, that lasted longer, uh, but she eventually passed away once he was living in the United States. And then he became romantically involved with a Russian lady who was a spy. So 
Einstein in the personal life, I, you know, science was like his outlet. He just didn't like dealing with the mess that can become personal life. And, and it showed, it, it unfortunately showed. Something else, uh, before World War II, he discussed Germany's rearmament with Winston Churchill. So that, that was something interesting to me in, in just all the people that Einstein comes in contact with. I mean, everyone wanted to, to meet with him and spend time with him, but he would meet with government people. He would meet with all sorts of different people, but he, he would discuss a variety of topics. And so it wasn't just science that he would talk about, but um, he, he was very curious about the world and had ideas that, that he wanted to share about, about what, he, what he thought could make the world better. Uh, most of his later life, he spent in an attempt to find a unified theory that tied together four different things. Those things were electricity, magnetism, gravity, and quantum mechanics. So we see a lot of uh, things in the book about, about his ideas on trying to, to come up with this unified theory. I was, I was uh, surprised to learn that he did win a Nobel Prize, but it was not for the theory of relativity. So it was something that... Uh, it's surprising. And the last thing is uh, something Isaacson says in the intro to the book. And he said, he made imaginative leaps and discerned great principles through thought experiments rather than by methodical inductions based on exper- experimental da- data, end quote. So throughout this book, Einstein is presented as someone who is, is thinking and he comes up with his theories and principles through thinking. And that's not how it oftentimes happens. Uh, a lot of times, uh, other scientists will will do experiments or they'll do research uh, and, and come up with theories based on, on that or, or multiple experiments and experiments done by others. And Einstein was more, it was theoretical. It was, it was in his head. He was, he, was, he was coming up with these ideas in his head. And, then, and what was funny is in a lot of his, the papers that he wrote, he would inst- then instruct people how to do the experiments to test to make sure that his theory was right. So he never wanted to do the experiments. He wanted to do the, the thinking and then tell others how they, could, how they could prove his thinking right through their experiments. <laughs> that's, just, that's just amazing. And so that ties in with, with my first thing that I, that I really enjoyed in this book. And that was the discussion about music. Music was a big part of Einstein's life. Uh, he played the violin. And he, w- he would, while he was thinking and get, when he would get stuck on a problem, he would pull out his violin. And oftentimes he would solve that problem while playing the violin. So here, here's a per- paragraph towards the beginning of the book. Music was no mere diversion. On the contrary, it helped him think. Whenever he felt that he had come to the end of, a, of the road or faced a difficult challenge in his work, said his son Hans Elbert, he would take refuge in music and that would solve all his difficulties. The violin thus proved useful during the years he lived alone in Berlin, wrestling with general relativity. He would often play his violin in his kitchen late at night, improvising melodies while he pondered complicated problems, a friend recalled. Then suddenly, in the middle of playing, he would announce excitedly, I've got it! As if by inspiration, the answer to the problem would have come to him in the midst of music. His appreciation for music, and especially for Mozart, may have reflected his feel for the harmony of the universe. I took uh, 
I, I took some things out of this. I, I'm a violinist myself. I've, I played since I was three years old. And from the time I was three to, to when I was 14, I took private lessons and I was trained classically. So in, in being trained classically, I'm, I'm trained how to play music that has been composed. That could be by Bach, uh, Mozart, Vivaldi, but I'm, I'm never just making things up. I'm never improvising. I'm, I'm, I'm playing composed music. After 14, I started playing at church. I, then I started playing with artists and in music venues, bars, restaurants, uh, weddings, all, all sorts of things. And that was mostly improvised music. I, I would, the, the artists would be playing and then I would join in on the violin and I'd perhaps never heard the song before. And, and so I'd be improvising. It was not, I was not playing written parts. And so broadly speaking, uh, the, let, let's talk about two different styles of, of music. One playing composed music and, and the other playing uh, improvising music. The thing I found fascinating with Einstein is that most of the time when, when via, he, he, him playing the violin is discussed in this book, he's playing Mozart. Uh, that passage I just read, it, it, it said he also improvised melodies, but most of the time it, it seems like he was playing Mozart sonatas. But think about that. He, here he is, he's it, in a sense improvising about science. He's, he's coming up with, with ideas, he's improvising theories. But the way that he gets through thinking those and, and coming through breakthroughs is by pulling out his violin and playing composed music. If you, if you had asked me before, okay, Einstein's coming up with these theories and then he plays the violin, what would you expect Einstein to be playing? I would have answered, I would expect him to be improvising melodies. He's improvising science, why not just keep improvising with, with music? But instead, he was playing composed pieces. And maybe there had to be that balance. Maybe that Maybe the, he had to be playing composed pieces. There had to be that structure there to give illumination to, to, his, to his improvising about science. I don't know. It's not discussed in this book other, other than, than him playing Mozart and that sort of thing. But that, that's how I kind of went thinking. I mean, look at his hair. That's, that's random. Um, it, it, he didn't comb it a certain way every day. It was like just crazy up in the air. His clothing was was always random. So so much in in his life, he he's trying to come up with with these theories that are are in a way not random. But to do that, he's got to play composed, uh, non-random pieces. I, and I thought that was really really fascinating. Second thing that stood out to me in this book was was talk about the atom bomb. Uh, you, you're probably familiar with with the famous. Equation that, that Einstein came up with of E equals mc squared, E is energy, m is mass, and c is the speed of light, which is 186,000 miles per hour, and then you square that. So the 186,000 miles per hour squared is a big number, and that equation led other scientists to, to think we could probably create a bomb with that level of C squared, speed of light squared, we could create a lot of energy with that. We could, we could create a bomb. So Einstein was not actually involved in the creation of the bomb. He's not part of the Manhattan Project, but 
he did warn Roosevelt about atomic weapons. And this is something I didn't know. And, and it was fascinating just how the whole thing came came together. So Einstein had been in Germany and Einstein was Jewish. And so he was he was kicked out of Ger- Germany uh, along with a number of other scientists. And one interesting side note is that a lot of those scientists who were Jewish and who were, had been kicked out of Germany ended up going to the United States and being part of the project to create the atom, atom bomb. So had uh, Hitler kept those scientists in his country, he probably would have had the atom bomb before the United States, but he didn't. And, uh, but, but the United States didn't know that at that time, all Einstein knew is that there were some brilliant scientists still in, in Germany. So he wrote a letter and, and that letter got to or was read to Roosevelt through, through a friend. And that letter warned Roosevelt about Germany's, the, the possibility that they could be working on an atom bomb. And also suggested that Roosevelt needed to create a secret team and fund that team to, to create the weapon. That he needed to get to some scientists together to, to begin creating this atom bomb. Especially since Germany might, might be further along. He also warned that... Roosevelt needed to get in touch with Belgium, and Belgium was the colonial power of the Congo, and the Congo had uranium. So the Congo needed to be aware to look for Germans coming to the Congo to get uranium and to let Belgium know if that was happening. And so just all the geopolitical sides of, of all this... Einstein being involved in in the sense of being the first person to warn the the president of the United States of this potential disaster, but then also we need to get, we need to get on this right now because we need to have this bomb before someone else does, and then for that bomb to eventually be used twice in Japan, and for it to after the war pretty much be tagged on Einstein by different journalists because he came up with the equation that, that started that process of the, of the bomb itself. So just really fascinating. I didn't, I didn't know any of that history I've read. I, I read the Richard Feynman book and he talked about uh, the creation of the atom bomb a little bit. Um, and so I've read different pieces about that, but, but uh, didn't, didn't know Einstein's uh, one side involvement and then also lack of involvement as well. Third thing that I want to highlight from this book is uh, something I, I was wondering about going into the book, and that is that Walter Isaacson, in, in a number of his books, kind of dispels this myth of the lone genius hero. He, he said that's a flawed myth. He goes into that in depth in The Innovators, and then also I, I remember it being in the Steve Jobs biography, as well as the Da Vinci book. And basically, Steve Jobs had Steve Wozniak, and if there was no Steve Wozniak, there, would, there wouldn't have been a Steve Jobs. Um, and Steve Jobs had other people, and, and they all made Steve Jobs. And Da Vinci, he, you know, he had a studio, and there were other artists and competition, and so we wouldn't have Da Vinci if, if it wasn't for the other people in the studio and all that. And I always thought Isaacson took that idea a little too far, uh, especially with Da Vinci. Um, and, and probably with Steve Jobs, I, I, Isaacson balances it out. I mean, he, he doesn't say it's, it's, there's no lone genius, but I was very curious going into this book how he would handle it because I'm, just go back to that first thing I mentioned in this segment of the paper with no citations. How, you, you can't dispel the myth of the lone genius when a guy writes a paper and there, there are, there's no one to cite 
because it's all brand new ideas. And so I, I was pleased, I guess, to see that Isaacson did not try to put that concept forward in, in this book in The Lone Genius, uh, it, it, or, or that, that that is flawed, but that Einstein was a unique genius. And you see it throughout this book. You see it throughout his life. It's not just he did this in his 20s, the beginning of his career, and just lived off that. Like He, he was a master his, his whole life. And yes, he made mistakes. He he went down wrong paths. Um, personally, it was it was a disaster in in a lot of different areas of his family life. But he was a lone genius, and I was glad to see that come through. Now on to segment three, and the one thing, my one key takeaway from this book. This one is not a something I can like implement in my life to, to make it better. This one thing is something I'm still thinking about. Something that, uh, was a, was a a sentence in the book or a paragraph I came across and it, 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 it hit my soul. I, it's the only way I can describe it. I'm going to read it. I'll read it a few times and then I'll describe why it's page 427 in the hardcover. There was an evening where a Christian prayer group gathered to make intercessions for persecuted Jews. Einstein surprised them by asking if he could come. He brought his violin and, as if offering a prayer, played a solo. One more time. There was an evening where a Christian prayer group gathered to make intercessions for persecuted Jews. Einstein surprised them by asking if he could come. He brought his violin and, as if offering a prayer, played a solo. A few things to note here. One, this takes place in the late 1930s. Einstein's been kicked out of Nazi Germany. Uh, reports are coming of, of the terrible things. Some of, some of these terrible things have been happening to people that Einstein knew. Uh, his own personal property had been ransacked. They were looking for things against Einstein. And there's the, the, the per- persecution has started in earnest. And here's, here's a Christian prayer group. That's gathered to to pray for these Jews who are being persecuted in Europe. This is taking place in Princeton in the United States. Einstein is Jewish. This is a Christian prayer group. As it says here, they were surprised that he would, would come to the prayer group. He went, he brought his violin, and if, as if offering a prayer, played a solo. And I just think that is so beautiful. Uh, I know with myself and in, in my having played violin for my my whole life, I oftentimes have trouble saying what I want to to say verbally, to to getting the words out. But when I play the violin, and especially when I when I improvise, that is a deeper part coming out of me than anything I could ever say. And I just, I just imagine this, this prayer meeting, praying for the persecuted Jews, uh, you know, knowing the next five years are, are just going to be hell on earth. And Einstein shows up and, and offers that prayer through his violin. I, it was just, it was so beautiful. I just, I just stopped and it was one of those things where it was that, 
that was amazing. I want to highlight uh, one. It's actually the last part of the the entire book. I'm just going to read a few paragraphs here to, to close out. The world has seen a lot of imprudent geniuses. What made Einstein special was that his mind and soul were tempered by this humility. He could be serenely self-confident in his lonely course, yet also humbly awed by the beauty of nature's handiwork. A spirit is manifest in the laws of the universe, a spirit vastly superior to that of man, and one in the face of which we, with our modest powers, must feel humble, he wrote. In this way, the pursuit of science leads to a religious feeling of of a special sort. For some people, miracles serve as evidence of God's existence. For Einstein, it was about the absence of miracles that reflected divine providence. The fact that that the cosmos is comprehensible, that it follows laws, is worthy of all. This is the defining quality of a God who reveals himself in the harmony of all that exists. Einstein considered this feeling of reverence, this cosmic religion, to be the wellspring of all true art and science. It was what guided him... When I am judging a theory, he said, I ask myself whether if I were God, I would have arranged the world in such a way. It is also what graced him with his beautiful mix of confidence and awe. He was a loner with an intimate bond to humanity, a rebel who was suffused with reverence. And thus it was that an imaginative, impertinent patent clerk became the mind reader of the creator of the cosmos, the locksmith of the mysteries of the atom and the universe. To recap, this book was stunning in its breadth. I was not expecting it to go that deep into the science. Uh, you also obviously learn a lot about Einstein, but um, also about the science and, and, and his theories and, and what he was trying to, to accomplish with these theories. The research was, was extraordinary, and of the four other Isaacson books I've read, this is my favorite by far. This is on a different level. That's going to do it for this episode. Before I sign off, just a reminder that you can now share your own reading list on the Books of Titans website by going to booksoftitans.com forward slash my books. You can also follow Books of Titans on Instagram or Twitter at Books of Titans. And if you haven't already done so, you can subscribe to this podcast and find all of our past episodes through iTunes, the Android Marketplace, or your podcast manager of choice. If you're enjoying the podcast, please give it a five-star rating in iTunes and share your favorite episodes on social media. I'll be back next week with another book. And until then, keep reading, keep learning, and keep listening. I'm out.